Welcome to The Bull and the Bear, a money and markets podcast. We give you the advice you need to know to make investing safe and profitable. With The Bull and the Bear podcast, you'll get exclusive access to some of the top thinkers, analysts, advisors, and gurus in the investment business. And now for your hosts, Matt Clark and Charles Sizemore. And welcome to uh, this latest episode of the Bull and the Bear podcast. I'm uh, I'm your host Matt Clark. Uh, again, as always, glad that you're with us on, on this holiday week. Uh, it's everyone's just getting all excited and antsy as as uh, Friday the markets are closed and and uh, basically it just leaves us uh, today and and tomorrow in trading and and all that before we can kind of take a, a well deserved uh, three day vacation. It's been been very hectic if you if you're if you're like us and you watch the markets on a constant basis. I'm telling you what it uh, is enough to make your head spin, but but uh, um, before we get into that, uh, just reminding everyone, as always, that uh, you can catch the Bull and the Bear podcast on Apple Podcast, on Google Podcast, on Spotify, on iHeartRadio, and about 20 or so, I did kind of a count, about 20 or so different other pod, different podcast syndicators out there. So um, pick your poison, uh, if you will, on how you, uh, you want to listen to us. And any way you want to do that, that's great. Uh, leave us a review. Leave us a comment. Uh, we, we, we love that kind of feedback. Also, um, these are videoed as well. You can, you can see our bright shining faces on YouTube. Just go to youtube.com and type in the Bull and the Bear podcast and uh, we'll be right there. Uh, and you can find us without any problem. You'll see our podcast videos. You'll also see some uh, some educational content and some news uh, news videos as well that we try to put out on a regular basis. So I encourage you to do that and subscribe and get notified every time we put something up. We're going to get more frequent with that uh, as, as time goes on. But uh, because this is the holiday, uh, the holiday week, I, I thought it would be good to um, you, you know, change the tack just a little bit and, and, and really dig into, um, you know, America and, 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 and what is, uh, you know, uh, American stock. Now, first off, let me preface by saying that uh, most people who, who are seasoned investors would, would, would tell you that if you're buying a company just based on where it's located, that's probably not a good strategy. Um, in fact, I think Adam, and, Adam has, has talked about that before, that, that it's not, not necessarily a good idea to do that um, because there are profitable companies that are located around the world that will, will provide you just as much in the way of gains and, and, and profit as, as any company here in, in the United States. That's not to say that you shouldn't. It's just to say that I wouldn't base your trading strategy on just where your company is based out of. Um, because there are a lot of companies that you can consider that are just strictly all American. You have um, natural gas companies um, that just have pipelines that, that move natural gas in the continental United States and, and even up to Alaska. Um, but that's somewhat problematic now just, just because you know of, of, how, of how that market is. Real estate, another um, truly all American company that um, uh, a truly all American sector that is, you know, basically building, selling and, and buying real estate in the United States. But for this, uh, for, the, for, for this instance, I wanted to cha- kind of challenge both uh, Money Markets contributor Charles Sizemore and, and uh, Chief Investment Strategist Adam O'Dell. We'll bring them in here in just a second and, and, and to, to look at three companies that, that you can consider all American because they are by and large American household names. Um, but the difference between them and like natural gas or, or real estate is that they um, sell on a global scale in some cases, uh, or in other cases, they, they are a little bit more um, fluid in terms of what they provide. 
than uh, th- than real estate or natural gas or oil or things like that. So so first off, let me bring in um, Money and Markets contributor Charles Sizemore uh, from Texas. Welcome, sir. Uh, thanks uh, thanks for uh, for being on uh, here. And then also uh, Money and Markets chief investment strategist Adam O'Dell, who's with us every week. Glad to have him as well. He's got a, he's he's been. I tell you what, if there's if there's a guy who's in more need of a three day vacation, more deserving of a three day vacation, it's got to be Adam O'Dell because this guy's been working his tail off for the last I don't know how long. And so. Kudos to you, sir, to be able to take the next uh, take three days and uh, and enjoy enjoy that time. So, um, but first off, you know the the, the first company I want to talk about is one that you know you you see it probably every day. It's a it's products you see um, every day, multiple times a day. Um, as we get into the summer months and the Fourth of July holiday, their products are probably going to be even more uh, commonplace to see. And, and what I'm talking about is is Coca Cola. Um, it's, uh, you know, they, they have, uh, products that range anywhere from, you know, obviously, you know, diet Coke, uh, Coke zero, Fanta, Sprite, Powerade, vitamin water. I mean, they just, they, they run a gamut in terms of, uh, of the product they provide. And, you know, you're gonna be stuffing your coolers or, 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 you know, stuffing your fridge with, with their products on a regular basis, uh, not only this weekend, but, but through the summer. And, and, you know, this is a company that, uh, uh you know, ha- has been in the past a very strong uh, a very strong hold to have, um, but in my in, in my perspective, probably more of a buy and hold type of a, of a situation. But but Charles, I want to get your take on on this. I gave uh, just in in full disclosure, I gave Adam and Charles this list yesterday. So they they've basically had a day to to do some homework and and look at at uh, at what Wait, they look I, at. I'm not supposed to look surprised. I thought I was supposed to look surprised. No 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 like, no no. You don't know this. No, it's not it's not game show surprise time. You you you, <laughs> you didn't win a car or a thousand dollars. You got these oh, yesterday. So well, if I'm not winning any prizes, I'm I'm just gonna leave. <laughs> Um, well 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 first i I want i want to kind of get your take on on a company like coca-cola and 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 then and then dig a little deeper into your your analysis on where you see this as um you know and and what investors can do with it whether they're already whether they already own it or maybe looking at it as a as a potential investment sure sure there's a lot of layers here the first there are a few companies in the world with the branding power of coca-cola that the Coca-Cola sign is ubiquitous everywhere in the world. And people know what it is. I mean, it is, you know, th- that brand itself has incredible equity. Um, this is one of those classic Warren Buffett stocks. Uh, you know, Buffett really abandoned value investing decades ago. People still think of Warren Buffett as a value investor, but he's really not. He's more of a growth at a reasonable price investor. Uh, he bought Coke, you know, he likes to buy what he calls, you know, great companies, excellent companies at reasonable prices. And Coke has been one of the largest positions in his portfolio literally for decades. And a lot of it comes down to branding. At the end of the day, they sell fizzy water. They sell actual bottled water. They sell bottle, they sell liquids with electrolytes in it. I mean, they sell stuff that's exceptionally cheap to make, but they're able to charge a very nice premium on it because of the power of that brand. Uh, that is an all-American brand. It's all around the world. But when people see Coca-Cola, they say America, like this is America. Although, fun fact, the, do, you, do you care to guess uh, what country in the world consumes more Coca-Cola, like just the original formula, Coca-Cola, what country in the world consumes the most per capita? I'm going to guess either India or China. Uh, Mexico, actually. Really? 
Yes, Mexico. It's funny. Our, our, our neighbor to the south uh, really like adopted. They they copied the gringos when it comes to drinking Coca Cola and took it to the next level. Per capita uh, consumption of, of, of Coca Cola in Mexico is uh, they win the gold medal here. I believe uh, we Americans get the silver medal. Um, I, I'm actually not sure who gets the bronze, but uh, but yeah, fun fact. Did not but, yeah, know that. Um, Coca-Cola has been really uh, beaten up, um, just like most of the rest of the market. The difference is Coca-Cola didn't recover as quickly. And one of the reasons is um, where do people consume uh, soft drinks? And a lot, of, a lot of soft drink consumption happens in restaurants. And restaurants were, of course, locked down more or less nationwide. And even now, they're not at, at full capacity. Now, obviously, people buy Coca-Cola products for you know, they buy that, you know, bottle of water, they buy a two liter of Coke, you know, whatever, you know, they, they buy that for their 4th of July picnic. Sure. Uh, they buy it for home consumption, but uh, a lot of that, that, that consumption was taken offline. The restaurant consumption, if you will, was taken offline and even things like airports, you know, people that buy Coke at the airport. Yeah. It's just all those little incidental purchases have been dr dramatically reduced and that's really weighed on the stock price. Now, you, you look at this, you say, okay, um, this will pass eventually. It may be stuff for more months before it does, but accumulating shares of one of the greatest brands in history when it is substantially below its, its, its highs, not a bad strategy. Okay. Um, Adam Odell, I want to bring you in and get your thoughts as well. I think Charles rose some pretty good points, especially about the consumption points being uh, significantly reduced because of the coronavirus. And, and that did weigh pretty heavily, not just on Coke, uh, Coca-Cola, but also on the entire food and beverage, uh, you know, production industry. Uh, you know, the, 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 it, you know a, a downward turn of 20 to 25% um, between March and April. And, and, you know, that's, that's a pretty significant, uh, a pretty significant drop. So um, Adam Odell, you know, in terms of technical analysis, there are none better. So I want to, I want to have you come in and, and, and give me your take on, uh, on, on Coca-Cola. Sure. And I'll kind of frame how I do my analysis. And I, I like that you pointed out that you gave us a day to do our homework. And I just want to point out that what I do is I build systems. I build quantitative models that allow me to crunch a whole lot of data in the background in the computer, so to speak. Um, and so that I can basically, you know, you can give me any stock ticker and I can tell you within five to 10 seconds, whether I would buy that stock, avoid it, or potentially sell it short. So I don't necessarily need a whole day to do homework on these types of stocks. Um, I can look at my cycle nine algorithm and within five seconds tell you whether I would buy it or, or sell it. Um, I also built a six factor longer term investing model that, that basically ranks all the stocks in the universe based on six of the most fundamental driving factors that drive uh, investment outperformance. So we're talking about momentum, the size factor, volatility, value, growth, and quality. So um, basically I can look at, I can punch in a ticker like uh, Coca-Cola, KO into my system and tell you right now within five seconds that I would not be buying Coca-Cola right now. Uh, as far as my cycle nine algorithm, uh, Coca-Cola is in a longer term downtrend. So we only buy stocks that are already trending higher. That's where you get market beating gains and that's where you have uh, safety of capital. Um, also, if you look at April, May and June when the market's been rallying, uh, my, my uh, cycle nine indicator shows that the momentum in Coca-Cola has been less than the momentum of the S&P 500. So again, we're only buying stocks that are already trending higher in cycle nine alert and with market beating momentum to a sufficient degree to give us a really high probability trade, like a 70% odds of, of success with that trade over a two to three month period. 
So on that note, um, Coca-Cola is not a buy for me according to my cycle nine alert algorithm. Also, when I run it through my six factor longer term model, uh, Coca-Cola ranks at about 45 to 50. So kind of in that middle middle pack. I mean, it could be a good long term buy. Charles had a good point that it has great brand recognition and, and sells a cheap product with a good margin. Uh, you can actually see that in my rankings. Uh, it ranks high on quality. It actually ranks high on growth, which is interesting for, a, for a established uh, large cap company like Coca-Cola. But as far as the value metrics, the momentum metrics, and the volatility metrics, it's really not worth uh, not worth buying at this moment in time. So I'd pass. And, and I, I, I agree without even looking at your metrics. I, I, I looked at this and just kind of saw the, the technical chart of it and and it, it's just not, it doesn't, it doesn't speak to me. I mean, I think, I think Charles is right there. There is good brand recognition there. There is, um, you know, some potential, but in terms of right now, I, I, you know, if you're buying and holding it, you know, you probably want to go ahead and continue to hold it because it's a part of your long-term strategy. If you're looking to invest in Coca-Cola now is uh, probably not the time to do it. Now, moving on to the second of our three, this one, I, you know, I, I, I pulled this one out and I thought, you know, it's, it's not only all American, but it's really timely. This is a company that, um, that has been big in terms of entertainment. Um, and, and that entertainment has, has now stretched around the world, um, as, as its reach is, is global. Um, and, and they have a recent, uh, product that has come out that has, uh, done extremely well, not just since it's, it's release, but even during the coronavirus pandemic, which has, has helped it offset, um, what it's been lacking, uh, and in its probably most profitable side of the business. And that's theme parks. The company I'm referring to is what the Walt Disney company that's, uh, on the New York stock exchange is DIS. Uh, and, and again, this is a, a very well-known company. It's been well-known for, for decades now. It started with, uh, with, with Disneyland in California, uh, cartoons and entertainment, and it's just branched from there. The service that they just launched, I believe, in November uh, was, uh, uh, was Disney+. Plus. It is a subscription service um, that uh, has, has now garnered well over 50 million subscribers between Disney Plus and the bundle of Hulu and ESPN, which are also part of, of the Disney family. And in terms of media, I think, I think this gets a little um, undersold a little bit, but in terms of, of media conglomerates, Disney is not small. Uh, you know, when you when you tack on ESPN, you tack on Hulu, you tack on um, you know all all the different channels involved with 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 Disney, um, its its media side is, is extremely strong. Um, but it makes its money on theme parks. That that's where a bulk of its revenue comes from. And when you close those down, as they've been closed down in in China, in France, here in the United States, you know that is a huge blow to the bottom line. And and I think that's been relatively evident. So um, I'll I'll start with Charles and 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 uh, kind of get uh, kind of get his take on on Disney and 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 what he sees with the, with Disney, Charles. You know, it's funny. We talked about brand equity with Coca-Cola. I would say Disney is right up there in those those top five most recognizable brands. And when you see that that outline of the, the, the castle, you know, the, the Snow White Castle or whatever, and the Mickey Mouse years, that ranks right up there with the McDonald's Golden Arches, the Coca-Cola, you know, red emblem. You know, these are the elite of the elite in terms of, of brand recognition, which is a big reason why Disney is able to charge a premium for everything. If you've ever been to Disney World, you know what I mean about that. Now, uh, obviously, with, with Disney, there's a, uh, there's a lot of short-term risk. There's a lot of headline risk. Uh, their, their businesses have gotten just bludgeoned from all sides. Uh, the theme parks are effectively shut down. I mean, even if they reopen, are they, is there a, a Disney park 
open at full capacity anywhere in the world no. right now. I don't, I don't um, believe so. No, I believe the closest one that's been open is the one in Shanghai, uh, but mm-hmm. it, it is even at a capacity. It, it is at a, it's capped in terms of, of what they're allowing into that yeah. park, if I understand right. Yeah, so so that's just the theme parks. I mean, but you know, beyond that, there's the movie business, which is also effectively on hold. Disney had to yank several um, several fairly large movie titles from. They had to, to push the uh, the release date into the future by, by months. I mean, that's just Mulan. The live action Mulan is is the one that 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 generates a lot of the headlines because it was supposed to be released in June. It was pushed to July, and now just as of yesterday or the day before, that's been pushed back even farther. Um, sure. Not that uh, not that uh, filming's it, done. It's just they just why release it when it's you know well, you can't no, throw no, it in a movie no, theater. No one's gonna watch it. There's no point. And, and you know, uh, Black Widow, the, the Marvel franchise, that, that's also been postponed indefinitely. Uh, so and then in like that final, just you know, you know, left punch, right punch, and you know, one more punch to the face here. There, uh, the sports business is also suffering. You know, ESPN is not making as much money as they normally would because there's very little in the way of live sports. Now that's that's changing, but. Uh, at least for the last several months, there's been really, I think I was watching Korean baseball for lack of anything else to watch. Because that's, that was that's literally interesting enough. That has been their staple of live sports because it's the only thing on and they are, they are, they are showing it. And it, it actually, it does well. The issue that ESPN has is the time difference. Korean baseball is played at nighttime in, in, in Korea, which makes it, you know, at a very bad hour in the U S to watch it live. There is never a bad hour to watch live sports. That's true. That's true. But I mean, I don't know if you want to wake up at two or three o'clock in the morning to watch a Korean baseball game. If if that's your thing, great. I mean, sports. Yeah, I mean, desperate enough for sports, you will. But so all all of that's sort of the bear case on Disney. You know, like all of the risk that is very obvious and out there. I'm not. I'm not saying anything that, that that's not very obvious. Where Disney gets interesting is if you look at the market cap of Disney and you compare it to the market cap of Netflix, they're about the same. Yeah, they're, you know, it's, it changes day by day, of course, but they're within rounding error of each other. Now, I take the view that Disney Plus, the Disney Plus streaming app, is every bit as valuable as Netflix. At the end of the day, pretty much everybody in the entire world wants, it's not available everywhere in the world yet, but it's, it's, it's getting there, just like Netflix, it had to be rolled out country by country. Uh, every parent with a child from the age of zero to, I don't know, 12 is, or even, even older is going to buy the Disney app that they are. They're just, you can't not buy it. If you have children, it's, it's really just that simple. Um, the, the total number of subscribers for Disney plus I expect will surpass Netflix in the not too distant future. I mean, it might take them a year, it might take them two years, but I expect the Disney app and not even including Hulu and, and ESPN and all, all that, just the regular bare bones Disney Plus. I expect that to exceed uh, Netflix in terms of subscribers. Now, by that rationale, and given the fact that Disney pays less for its content than Netflix does, because a lot of their content is existing stuff they already own, whereas Netflix has to license all of its content. Uh, Disney has natural uh, profitability advantages over Netflix. It's and and that's that's a structural advantage that will never change. Netflix does not have a hundred years of history the way that that Disney does, and a huge uh, uh, catalog of content. It's my view that Disney uh, Disney Disney Plus app, if that were a standalone stock, that should be worth as much as Netflix by itself. By itself, that should. So, if, if you're looking at Disney stock price, 
you're effectively getting the theme parks, the movie business, ESPN, you're getting all that other stuff for free. So uh, I, I think Disney's a very compelling long-term buy. I, I would like Adam's take on what the short-term technicals look like, but I, I would say as a long-term buy, one of those stocks that if you are going to buy something and drop it in a drawer for a few years and not look at it, this would make the short list. And let me back up a little bit. I need to make sure I, I, I'm correct here. As of, as of May 5th, um, there are 54.5 million Disney Plus subscribers. If you add Hulu and ESPN, that number is around 97 million. And just to put that into context, the number of subscribers that Netflix has is about 182 million. So you, when you talk about Disney surpassing Netflix, um, I think it'll when, take it, a while. When, yeah, it'll take it, some time. It'll get there. But if you toss in Hulu and ESPN, which they put together in a nice bundle, um, full disclosure, I have it myself. Um, I also have Netflix. Um, but I, I think I think that timing of, of, of that entire uh, three network grouping surpassing Netflix is probably might be a little closer than you think, depending on you know how long we we stay in this in the, in this virus mode and, and and things like that. Now, I, I agree. I, I do want to hear Adam's take on on the technical side in terms of Disney. So, uh, Adam, I'll turn it over to you. And 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 now that you told me that you only need five seconds, I'm not giving you a day next time. I'm just going to shoot them right at you, and you're not gonna, you're not going to get any any lead time on these from now on. <laughs> into my way um so yeah so first of all i'll say i, I do think that it, uh, disney is a very interesting case in the sense that their core business what they've known for and what they've built their assets uh up to is based on uh in-person experiences where you have to be touching the rides and, and you have to be around people and everything and so that obviously from a story headline perspective is a is a headline risk uh, in the age of COVID. um and you can actually see that like if you look at my cycle nine momentum indicator um, Disney was actually outperforming the S&P 500 through May and June. Now, the reason it never triggered a buy signal, according to my Cycle 9 algorithm, is that the stock was in a downtrend. So I think what that is, is a case of, you know, investors kind of got excited about the reopening. And Memorial Day came. We got bored with the quarantine. We decided to go out and, and you know, party at the Ozarks, like you saw in the news. And, and so basically, you know, everybody thought, all right, we're back to business. Disney's going to, you know, snap back. Disney was down 45% from its highs in late 2019 to its March lows. I mean, the, the idea that you cannot lose half of your money in a large established blue chip stock like Disney is, is not, you know, it's just, it's crazy. It's not true. Um, you can lose that much money. But I think this is a case where investors kind of got ahead of themselves and thought, all right, Disney's going to snap back. It's down 50, almost 50%. Um, I, you know, it's going to rocket higher and maybe... Uh, we got a little ahead of ourselves when we realized, all right, well, maybe it's not back to business 110% like we thought. The virus is still out there. We still have some concerns. Capacity is not going to be 100% uh, or whatnot. And, and in fact, what you saw is that, uh, you know, despite that um, market beating momentum in Disney, the stock was not in an uptrend. It was still below its 200-day average. And in fact, uh, like about three weeks ago, it, it traded up to its 100, excuse me, up to its 200-day moving average which was at about a, at $125 per share. And as soon as it hit that level of resistance, it, it fell back down to under $110 a share. Um, so, you know, one thing I'll make a note about this is, is I always say we only buy stocks that are already trending higher. You know, using a trend filter, even if it's, it's as simple as the 200-day moving average, I talk about this all the time in my uh, service Green Zone Fortunes. Um, you know, even if you use a simple trend filter like the 200-day moving average, if you are in a position long, if you're, if you're holding a stock, and that stock falls into a downtrend, whether it's under the 200-day moving average or whatever other measure you use, sell the stock. You know, go ahead and cut your losses short so that you don't suffer for that full 45% drop like Disney went through. 
Uh, if you had bought at the worst time to buy Disney in 2019, which was at its highs in December, if you had bought up at $150 a share and just bad timing two months later, COVID strikes, if you had just sold the stock when it fell under its 200-day moving average, you would have lost 8%. Now, 8% is not, is not anything when you compare it to the 45 drop that it went through. So again, if, you were, if you're using a simple trend filter, you can use it not only to get into stocks that are already trending higher, but you can use it to sell stocks like a trailing stock, more or less, uh, if you already own a stock and it starts to, to drift lower. So that would be my piece on Disney. Right now, it's not a buy for me. I'd wait for the uptrend to reestablish and then I'd look for a, a better momentum signal. And I agree. I agree. Same. I, I just, and, and not having, not looking at Adam's data, just in looking at just the chart, I, I just, it's not, uh, I, I think long term, perhaps yes, but in terms of a short term, a short term buy. I, it, I would probably pass on it until un, until you see some some indicators change in, in a more positive light for Disney. Now, the last company that we'll get into and, and we'll we'll try to tackle this briefly. This is one that that may not necessarily be as widely known as as others, but I picked it because uh, you know it's 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 it is a brand. It is a, a good size brand. Um, it, it's a company that is not just recognized under its own name, but also has several other names that is kind of subsidiary of it. Um, and, and I think in terms of looking at it for the summer and especially the 4th of July weekend, um, I, I think it's good to, to, to do some, to, some analysis on it. And the, and, and the third stock I have here is Kroger Company uh, that is on the New York Stock Exchange's KR. It is one of the largest grocers in the U.S. In fact, I think it is might be the second or third largest in the U.S. Um, it's got about 2,800 supermarkets in 35 states. Uh, so it's got a wide footprint here in the United States. But it also has 24 different what they call banners. And this is it's not just a Kroger store. It may be named something else, but it is a Kroger. It's, it's owned by Kroger. And, and, you know, obviously, as we near the weekend, uh, you know, grocery stores are going to start getting packed with people buying, uh, you know, various, various items to cook out on, to cook out with, or, or whatever your plans happen to be, you're, you're going to the grocery store to, uh, you know, to, to, to buy those items. And, and, and Kroger, if you're in one of these 35 states, odds are Kroger's going to be one you're going to go to. Um, and, and so, so Charles first, I, I, and I, and I also picked this for an, another reason. And I want to see if either of you two get on, get on that reason, um, here in the next few minutes, but Charles briefly, give me, give me your thoughts on Kroger. Sure, sure. So I, Kroger, I, I think the, that that short-term narrative of, hey, people are still going to be eating at home more, they're going to be going out less, that should benefit uh, grocery stocks in general. I, I think there's there's not a lot of short-term risk in the stock. I think if you are looking to, uh, to allocate yeah, somewhere fairly safe for the next several months, this is definitely a decent option. Now that said, be careful. Um, the elephant in the room for anything related to groceries right now is Amazon. Amazon.com has, has, of course, they, they bought Whole Foods uh, a couple of years ago and they've really expanded their, their grocery delivery business. I know my, uh, I'm, I'm fairly middle of the road when it comes to my fear level of, of the virus. I'm, you know, mostly just kind of, Hey, I'm wearing a mask or whatever, but I'm not, uh, I'm not, you know, panicking, right? Well, my poor wife, she really is just like scared to death of, of leaving the house pretty much because, uh, you know, the case counts are rising. So she started buying most of our groceries on Amazon and they just show up on our front porch. We just open the door and, oh, hey, the week's groceries are right there. Once you get used to that kind of convenience, are you ever going to go back to the grocery store? You know, not even if there's no risk that, you know, this, the whole pandemic thing is over, it's just 
but the groceries just show up. I just click a few buttons on the, on the mouse and the groceries just show up in my front door. Like, how can you beat that for convenience? Now, you know, Kroger has, has been, they're not, you know, they, they know that this threat exists and they've been, they've been trying to counter it yet with now, uh, you know, Kroger will deliver groceries to your car and whatnot. And they're, they're working on home delivery options of their own and, and they're, 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 they're fighting this fight, but do you want to fight Amazon? You know, it, it is how, how many companies can credibly say they fought Amazon and won? Very few, if any. Yeah. <laughs> if it's like, I, I fought the law and the law won, it's like, there, there may be a country song someday, I fought Amazon and Amazon won. So um, I would say, you know, Kroger might be you know, a decent short to medium term buy. Um, I wouldn't fall in love with it though. I, I, would, I would be very careful with this as a long-term holding. Okay. Adam, your, your thoughts on Kroger. Well, I have a different take. Um, first of all, I think it's a good short-term buy and a good long-term buy. I'll say that right out the gate. Um, I did in my cycle nine alert service recommend a grocery store stock uh, just this, a few months ago. We got into Sprouts Farmers Market. I can reveal that here because we were already out of the trade. Uh, we closed that trade for like a 60 some percent profit trading options on it over like a two, two and a half month period. Um, so you know, right now, the short term, the headline risk is not there. Um, business um, grocery stores are essential businesses. They have uh, either the same or increased demand, uh, whereas a lot of other businesses are suffering decreased demand. Um, so that that's obviously fits the story. But, you know, Kroger stock is trending higher. It's It's been in an uptrend the whole time, even throughout the crisis. It's hitting new all time highs right now as we speak. It's momentum relative to the S&P 500 is is, is better. Uh, so forward looking over the next two to three months, Kroger is a good buy. But even more importantly, I mean, I think it's interesting. I have a love-hate relationship with Amazon. I order tons of stuff through Amazon. Once you get used to that, um, you definitely get used to that. I don't think you're Honestly, the only, I, I don't think you're the only one who has a love-hate relationship with a company like Amazon, really. I, I don't fair, I don't think you're alone in that. Fair fair enough, fair enough. Um but I, like even when I wrote up the uh, the buy recommendation for Sprouts Farmers Market, I, I explained you know they're using Instacart or their own. They're starting to build their own systems uh, internally where they can offer grocery delivery, a curbside pickup. So that's going to uh, and it is profitable. You know Sprouts's delivery model is profitable. It's not a loss leader for them. Uh, so and I would imagine Kroger's the same way. Um, so I think that just because Amazon is able to deliver groceries uh, to your door doesn't mean that these other grocers are going to go out of business. You know, I get annoyed when I get Instacart uh, shipments and they leave them on the door and they bought all the apples that have, uh, you know, spots or big dents in them or they bought something that expires tomorrow and I would have known to buy something that expires two weeks from now. So there's some, certainly some annoyances with that. But, you know, long term, I think the, the grocery business is going to be robust to uh, disruptions like this. The other thing I want to lean on in my analysis here is that in my buy recommendation long term is that I ran Kroger through my six factor long term investing uh, stock ranking model. It ranks 97.7 as a total overall score. The only thing it ranks lowly on is the size factor, and that's because it's a big company, just like Amazon. Uh, you know, Charles, I'll throw a jab at you. You're a, you're a value guy. You're a value investor. But get this. Kroger ranks 95 among all the stocks in the entire universe on value, meaning that there are only 5% of stocks that are a better value than Kroger right now. Amazon, on the other hand, ranks 14, meaning that 86% of stocks are a better value uh, according to valuation metrics than Amazon. So it, for me, um, you know, love, hate Amazon, I'd rather buy Kroger at this point. And, and you know, I, 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 you know, I know that there are some inroads with Amazon and, and trying to tackle Amazon is, is, is a tough, is a tough ask, but I still think that there are, 
you know, shopping habits change, but I, I don't know that in terms of groceries, I, I think that's a different type of habit you have to adjust. Buying clothes online or buying other things like that online is one thing. Buying groceries that have shelf life or that, you know, that, that require a little more, you know, instantaneous purchase. I don't, I, I just don't see that. I mean, I think there's going to be, you know, home delivery, things like that, I, I think are, are going to pick up. But I just don't know that Amazon really hits companies like Kroger all that hard in that respect. Uh, and that's just my, that's just my take. That's just my, what, my that's what, just my fun, what, What's interesting is when, when Amazon bought Whole Foods, the, one of the stocks that got beaten up the most that day was Kroger. I mean, Kroger's stock price caved because of that fear of, oh, like, oh, oh boy, here we go. Like Amazon's getting into groceries, everyone else's toast. Now, you know, the reality ended up not being that bad. You know, Kroger has proven to be resilient. And one of the reasons that Kroger has done well and is in such a good uptrend is it started from a low base. After, you know, once the dust settled, Kroger stock had fallen. It was cheap. And it's, as Adam pointed out, it's still cheap. So that's, you know, th that, that created a very good buying opportunity for, 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 for the, uh, the value hunters there. Um, I, I agree. It's not like everybody goes to online grocery ordering forever, but at the same sense, you know, the, those changes do happen at the margin. And, and at, at this point, I think they are going to be fairly sticky. So I think it may boil down to five years from now, which of these grocers just did a better job of adapting to, to modern trends. And Kroger is, is definitely a worthy competitor. I would rather bet on Kroger than on a smaller chain that doesn't have Kroger's deep pockets to, uh, to, build, to build out the delivery infrastructure. So I, I would say, yeah, I mean, Kroger, if, if you're going to bet on somebody other than Amazon, Kroger's a decent, a decent bet. It just sounds like you're hedging because of what Adam what Adam brought to the table is what <laughs> what that sounds like. Well, no, you don't have to be. I, well, look, I, I've, I'm, I'm, I, even though Amazon's expensive, Amazon's been expensive forever. I own some Amazon. I'll probably just hold it forever. Well, forever is a long word, of course, but uh, you'll hold it for, for a while, a long time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think um, you don't you don't have to buy. You, you don't have to do either or. I mean, you can just you can buy both. I mean, there could be a compelling reason to buy both. I, 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 I'm with that. I like Kroger. I like Kroger for short term. I like them for a long term. I think the, I, I think they're going to come out of this, this coronavirus stronger. I think they're going to adapt, you know, their business model somewhat to include home delivery, um, maybe online to a certain extent. Um, but I think Kroger comes out of this, uh, looking pretty good. Um, probably even better than they do now. So um, those are the three that we want to get into. Uh, and I appreciate the time that uh, Money Markets Chief uh, Investment Strategist Adam O'Dell and contributor Charles Sizemore uh, brought to the, to the conversation. I, I wanted to try to do something a little compelling that had, uh, that had kind of an all-American 4th of July tune to it. And, and, and you guys knocked it out of the park, and I appreciate that. Um, just as a, a programming note, uh, we will not have a podcast on Friday uh, because we will be taking in the 4th of July holiday with our respective families. And, uh, but, and we we certainly wish uh, everyone who, who is either off or working to have a, a very safe uh, and great 4th of July weekend. So, uh, guys, I appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on. For Charles Sizemore and uh, Adam O'Dell, I'm Matt Clark. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, YouTube. Uh, you, can, you can get us at a variety of different places. Uh, and uh, obviously check back with uh, moneymarkets.com. On, uh, on a daily basis, we've got new stuff coming up on, on there every day. So, again, guys, have a great, uh, have a great 4th of July weekend, and uh, we will be back on next week. 
You've been listening to The Bull and the Bear, a money and markets podcast. Tune in each week to hear insights on how to make investing safe and profitable for you. 